At this point in our Faith Stories sermon series and study, we've covered a lot of ground. First, we went to the mountaintops. We considered those parts of life when we've had clarity or felt close to God. Then we wandered out into the wilderness. We considered the difficulty and despair that we have known, and we wondered about God's presence even in those times. So far, it's been highs and lows, peaks and valleys, but today we come to the plains. We come now to consider our ordinary, everyday life, the in-between times, those parts of life that neither exhilarate nor devastate us, standing in the grocery line, checking email, picking up the kids, taking out the trash, just ticking the items off your list. These are the planes. So far in this series, we've focused on Bible stories, on narratives that have characters and a plot. Today is different. For the planes, we will spend time with one of Jesus's teachings to his disciples. It's a very familiar teaching about the daily practice of faith. I will be reading from the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 6, starting at verse 9. Hear the word of God. Jesus said, Pray then in this way. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And do not bring us to the time of trial, but rescue us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. After college, when I moved from my hometown of Nashville to rural New Mexico, it was practically my first time west of the Mississippi River. Sure, our family had gone to some St. Louis Cardinals games, and I'd spent a few weeks in Washington once, but I had never really seen the plains. I'd never seen the vast open spaces that make up so much of this country. Even at this point, I was mostly seeing them from my car as I barreled down the highway past wheat fields and stockyards and pump jacks. And to be honest, and with apologies to those of you from Oklahoma and the Texas Panhandle, I got bored on that drive. I had to focus on getting through it, on getting from point A, already hundreds of miles behind me, to point B, still hundreds of miles ahead. It was the kind of drive where you zone out completely until some signal, the brake lights of the car in front of you or the gas light on your dash, calls you back to the present moment. Sometimes life feels like a long drive. Not that it's boring, just some parts are predictable, unremarkable, even forgettable. In between the highs and lows, the planes take up a lot of space. And when we tell our stories, the planes are the parts we leave out, the parts that we've decided don't matter or that we simply don't remember. Now, of course, forgetting some things and assigning meaning to others, it's just how our minds work. We know that. But as people of faith, we also know that every moment is sacred. 
Nothing happens apart from God's presence. It's in God that we live and move and have our being. God is always here and now. Our faith calls us to pay attention then, to stay awake and open to God in our midst, not only in the best and worst of times, but every day, as much as we humanly can. It's not for us to zone out, but to tune in. The question is, how do we do that? How do we stay open to God over the long haul of life? Prayer is an obvious churchy answer, but prayer was the practice that Jesus lived and taught. To stay open and connected to God, Jesus prayed. When he did, Jesus usually went off by himself, leaving his disciples and the crowds behind. He told his followers to do the same thing. Don't pray publicly where you can be seen by others, he said, but go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. Jesus also told his disciples not to heap up empty phrases in their prayers. It was better not to say much since God already knew what they needed. It's not surprising then that the prayer that Jesus taught was a short prayer, few words, like Jesus was trying to make it simple for us to open up to a loving God who is right there to listen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. You know the rest and probably by heart, but I'm going to go ahead and guess that when you are praying, however often you do, the Lord's Prayer is not your go-to prayer. In my own prayer life, I find myself using it much the way we do in worship. I tag the Lord's Prayer onto the end of a much longer list of asks and not a few heaped up phrases, almost like an afterthought. And even when I do say these words, it often feels more like a rote recitation than an honest opening of my heart and life to God. Perhaps this is scandalous to admit, but preparing for today, it was necessary for me to go back to these familiar words and actually recover their meaning for myself. It's only having done this in the context of my own faith that I offer these words back to you as a spiritual practice for the plains. Now, I'm not going to pull the prayer apart, going phrase by phrase, as many catechisms do. To do so is worthwhile. The language of this prayer is endlessly rich, but we might be here all day. What I do want to do is to share with you more generally and to invite you to consider how this prayer might shape your story. I think it can shape our stories every day if we allow it to. A teacher of mine used to say that the Lord's Prayer is about alignment. It's about where we stand and with whom and for what. Alignment. This is particularly true in the first half of the prayer. When we say, Our Father, to address God. When we say that, we align ourselves with the entire human family, every one of whom is a child of God. 
our Father. And when we say those words, we also align ourselves with Christ, the Son of the Father, the Son of God. We claim, as Jesus did, an intimate relationship with God. And we proclaim ourselves to be not only Jesus's followers, not only his friends, we say that we are his family. We align ourselves with him. And we also align ourselves with God's kingdom and God's will as we pray for their realization. Your kingdom come, your will be done. With those words, we lay aside any agenda we might have that isn't God's. And we remember that while God's agenda may be mysterious, it's not a secret. We know from God's word that God's kingdom is love and justice and peace. God's kingdom is not the rich getting richer and the poor getting poorer. God's kingdom is the first will be last and the last will be first. God's kingdom is not only the best for me and my friends or my family. God's kingdom is a great feast where everyone is invited. God's kingdom is healing, wholeness, and abundant life. In prayer, we align ourselves with these values, with the God of Jesus Christ and no other, and with the life of the world that God loves. This alignment, it has to come first. It comes first in the prayer and it comes first in life. My car won't make it across these planes if my alignment is shot. I might run myself or someone else right off the road. The Lord's Prayer is about alignment and it's about expectations. From God, there are certain things that we may ask and expect to receive. Our daily bread, forgiveness from sin, protection from evil. This is the shape of God's love for us. This is what God has promised and what God has promised God will do. But there are also expectations here for what we will do. In the words, give us today our daily bread, there's an implied responsibility to others. It's not my bread, it's ours. What we seek from God is the good of everyone, the community. I like the way the poet George Ella Lyon puts it. Give us this day bread we could feed the world and snatch us bald-headed if we try to swallow it all. There's the expectation you see that we will be just and generous with what God provides. There's the expectation that we will forgive others as God has forgiven us. That part is pretty straightforward. It'll knock the wind out of you if at the time of prayer you're holding a grudge. We promise to forgive. It's a responsibility, an expectation. And there's even one more, because even when we ask God to lead us not into temptation, to bring us not into a time of trial, we imply that we will follow where God leads. That's a responsibility laid squarely on our shoulders. The Reformed theologian Karl Barth once said that the Lord's Prayer was pure petitions 
just a bunch of requests. And as children of God, we have that freedom to ask God for whatever we need. But faithful prayers are not just requests. Faithful prayers are commitments. The amen, it's not the end. Prayer always leads us on to action. Perhaps the Orthodox writer Anthony Bloom put it best. He said, a prayer makes sense only if it is lived. And in even stronger terms, if the words we use in prayer are not made real by the way we live, they will be meaningless and lead nowhere because they will be like a bow that we cannot shoot for a lack of a string. It is absolutely pointless to ask God for something which we ourselves are not prepared to do. Bloom's assessment is hard to hear. I come to prayer wanting to unburden myself, not to take on more. But if I involve God in my life, God will surely start involving me in God's life. I wonder if this isn't the real reason that we avoid prayer sometimes or that we let a prayer like the one that Jesus taught lose its meaning for us. It's not that prayer is boring. It's not that we feel unworthy of God's attention or dubious of God's care for us. I wonder if we don't avoid prayer because deep down, we know it can change us. It can change our lives and maybe not in ways that we want. You know, lots of the time I think we are really interested in crossing the plains and making good time. But God, God is about that winding scenic route. And it might be time for us to take God's guidance, to take that route. It will be the same landscape, but the journey, the journey with God is different. It's an adventure. This week, whether you're with your Reconnect group or another small group, or if you're going through our faith story study on your own, you will be invited to consider the plains. You will talk about what it means for you to practice faith in everyday life. I hope that prayer will be a part of that conversation. Maybe as you talk with your siblings in Christ, you'll be inspired to pray more, to pray differently, or to make some other commitment to be more open to God in your life. Maybe you'll take up a traditional prayer like the one that Jesus taught, or maybe you'll simply dedicate yourself to praying with greater awareness or intentionality. Perhaps you'll simply ask more often of yourself, of God, how's my alignment? And what might God expect of me in this grocery line, on this Zoom call, even when I'm just at my kitchen table? What might God expect for the sake of God's kingdom? Ask and be ready for a new direction. This, I'm increasingly convinced, is how an ordinary life becomes a living prayer. 
Very soon in this worship service, we will pray the Lord's Prayer together as part of the communion liturgy. It's World Communion Sunday, when congregations around the world celebrate together the unity we have in Christ and God's love for the whole human family. I hope that when you say it in just a few minutes, the Lord's Prayer will resonate for you in a special way for this occasion. When we say our Father, may we feel our kinship with people far, far beyond our family and congregation. When we ask for our daily bread, may we remember the hungry around the world and in our own neighborhoods and recommit to feeding them. And when we remember God's forgiveness, may we take seriously our responsibility to be reconciled across differences, be they personal, political, racial, or national. We are called to peace. May we seek to align ourselves with God's kingdom of justice and peace and be inspired to do our part in bringing that kingdom about today and every day. Amen.